Welcome to CTN, CIO Talk Network, with your host, Sunjo Gall. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are strictly those of the host, guests, and callers. Now, here's Sunjo Gall. Hello and uh, welcome to this segment on CTN. To learn more, please visit CIOTalkNetwork.com. And the topic for today is delivering sales as an experience. And our guest for today uh, show is Anne Joyce, who is the Executive Vice President, Chief Information Officer with Chico's FAS. Hi, Anne. How are you? Good morning. Um, good morning. Thanks for inviting me. It's a pleasure and an honor to be on the talk, um, CIO Talk. Beautiful. And yeah, I, I can promise you a good experience and we will have debates and we will have good conversations. So just to set the stage for you and for the listeners, uh, you know, I, I always have been saying this out loud to people that people love to buy but hate to be sold. And when we are trying to build a sales organization, essentially, would it not be a good idea if it was focusing on letting people have a pleasurable buying experience versus us trying to sell to them, which is a, which should bring the required or desired results? So if, if that's where we want to go, we would like to take that as a premise and start exploring where people have issues, the way they have created their sales models and the way they've deployed their people, the way they're training, the, the way they provide them information and collateral that is set out, the whole process. How is that being um, rethought and where does technology play a role given especially today's day and age where it is bringing so many new different ways to improve the whole process and bring some more data? So that said, what do you think, Anne, is going on in terms of if you take circa uh, 2010 and say now, the way even taking your own organization as an example, how were you creating ways for people to buy better versus now? What's changed? So I, I think for Chico's FAS, for anyone who's um, participated or, or had the experience in stores, you know that our sales associates know their customers better than anyone. In fact, our brand is built on what we call our most amazing personal service. So our associates are style experts. And um, by being the style experts, they inherently know what the customer wants. They're providing them with the trust and the experience um, that that customer is looking for versus selling a product and the tools that we deploy really are to support that experience and support that collaboration um, and the evolution of what those tools are and the data science that we use to support that interaction and that relationship um, inclusive uh, of, of the digital age, right? And sort of the understanding that there are no longer channels so providing that outside of the four walls is an evolution that we stay very, very close to because it is protecting our DNA, which is our most amazing personal service. So when we talk about retail, of course, over time, we've also discussed on our forum about omnichannel and other ways people have been trying to collect customer information, their profiling, and then just-in-time type of 
uh, help or advice that they could be provided by people on the floor. So what you just mentioned definitely is an edge above many, many retailers, but at the same time, you will also have competitors. So if I had, say, my spouse going to one store and another one, and then it all she also goes to the Chico's FAS store, what would you think would sway her if the other two stores are also doing the the technology-enabled experience and having stylist on the floor. What, what, what it, it's not that I'm trying to have you differentiate Chico's FAS, but what would make someone like her, or maybe you put yourself in her shoes, you would buy from? Actually, I did put myself in her shoes. So um, I've been at Chico's for about a year and a half, and when I went through the um, interviewing process, I had, I had misunderstood Chico's. I had not visited a White House in a while. Um, and so I went on store visits. And the experience that I had is really what drove me to take the job at Chico's. The experience at Chico's, um, it, just to give you a little bit of background, I have been a mall shopper, a retail shopper, a competitive shopper for uh, more years than I care to say. Um, and, but I'm not a personal shopper. I'm not one to specifically go out and, and spend a lot of time shopping for myself. So when I went into one of our brands and I spent over two hours and didn't even realize it was two hours, I was sold on the service aspect. Then when they started to build the history of my purchases through the tools that we have, as well as what was personal to me, and the stylist was then able to reach out to me and, and be specific about what I needed, and I developed that trust. Whether I had taken this job or not, I was absolutely a loyal customer. So based on what you just said, would you think Chico's FAS has done something right? I can see different pieces coming together, the environment, the salespeople, the technology. What, how, and then the, the barriers to entry, at least from the technology standpoint, are lower. So are you saying the, the missing link for many who are not able to give that experience and get someone like you to become a loyal customer is in the softer side of the sales process? Yeah, I don't know that I would be able to speak to others. What I would say is that first and foremost, we have to have a product that the consumer wants. So that's the price of entry, right? And after that... It's the service that we provide. And the more proprietary and the more uh, organic that is, the more authentic that is, and then for that to be supported through technology and enabled through technology or extended through technology, to me, is the secret sauce. Not technology for technology's sake or not building something technology for a wow factor, which I think will age itself out. When you look at an experience or a design, whether it's a store design or the experience offered, if it is not simple, hiding the underlying complexity, or it comes across that you're trying too hard, then people notice. Otherwise, the experience. So what, in your view, is the secret sauce to making things simple, which is actually most difficult is to make things simple? for the end consumer so that they don't even, they, they just feel it's, it's happening naturally. But behind the scenes, I'm sure there's a sophisticated set of processes and technology and everything else happening. What does it take to make things simple like that? 
You know, I think it has to do with identifying the friction that the consumer feels and eliminating that, that friction, right? And so if we can identify and understand the customer journey, remove the friction, and dare I say, get to the point where you can predict the consumer's problem and eliminate it before they even know that they have it, is the path that I think is the most successful path to be on. But do you think we have a crystal ball to know any and every flavor? I'm sure nobody can say we're 100% perfect anyways. But if you say predicting, people's uh, mindsets, tastes, and, and loyalties change all the time, no matter how good someone does. So what's your benchmark or what is Chico's benchmark of saying, okay, we are going to go up to this point and then test it and see if that much of predictive approach to s- removing uh, objections or obstacles is going to increase our revenue. Because at the end of the day, there is a cost to everything. How do you yeah, measure what you put in versus what you get? So we have a, a very specific um, methodology by which we get the voice of the customer as well as the voice of the sales associate. We also have built um, through our CEO's charter a very sophisticated testing team, a methodology for fail fast and minimal viable product because we need to be in a position to be able to react. But it has to be rooted in shareholder value. It has to be rooted in benefit to the company and benefit to the consumer. You know, we have a greater than 90% loyalty. 90% of our customers are in our loyalty program and have been for a very long time. So I don't think that's an accident. The question is, for the challenge is not to disrupt that, right, but to advance that, to build the future of the customer journey. And in many ways, it's as simple as getting into the digital world or the brick-and-mortar world and just removing or automating manual practices, right, or spending a day in the life of a store in every single role that they have as technologists and even questioning the things that maybe we did years ago that no longer need to be done. Right. So as well as remove the friction for the sales associate and, and most importantly, be where the customer is. They're telling us what they want if we just listen. Many times, and I've had this experience in my career, if you're not involved in the stores and you're not store centric, you build something that you believe will work. You might even put it in a lab and it works. You may even put it in a actual store pilot and it works because everyone's rallying, but it might not work in a different location. It might be a regional issue. And if you're not close enough to it, you won't know that. And so I think that's critical. And if I may, my career was born in a very interesting way. Back in the 80s, I worked for a CIO who was way ahead of his time. And I was responsible working for a manufacturer for replenishment systems for the top five customers. There was a blip in the forecast with runaway sales in California for our number two customer. And I couldn't figure out what was going on. And so our CIO, and mind you, this is the late 80s, he got on the phone. He looked at the data. He got on the phone with the customer. He, they agreed to let him call the stores. And as it turns out, at that time, California went to a pseudo-uniform in their public schools. And the PK shirts in yellow and blue, could not, we could not keep them on the shelves. He was able to predict with their teams that that was a, a trend that was going to go across the country. 
and he tripled their replenishment business. So this was a CIO in the late 80s driving revenue. As a young person in my career, it, it changed everything for me. I understood back then the value of data and the value of being where the customer is and how that localized information could actually drive revenue. Let's take a quick break, listeners. We'll be right back. And then when we come back, let's talk about the three or four different generations you may be serving because I'm assuming there is a threshold of 30 plus old, older women are the ones who you are serving. And similarly, I'm sure different uh, organizations uh, in retail or even otherwise, they have some sort of a profiling of a customer. So when you've got multiple generations, we cannot be everything to everyone. And if we are trying to be good to one particular segment then other two will not get exactly what they want. How do we balance all this? Please stay tuned listeners, we'll be right back. Today, enterprise technology is both strategic and global. Each week on CTN CIO Talk Network, IT thought leaders from around the world share their experience with listeners as they discuss with Sunjog All how they are trimming costs and partnering with business to innovate and help IT become more competitive, better care for customers, and improve the corporate bottom line. If you want to keep up with IT thought leadership, listen to CTN CIO Talk Network with Sunjog All at CIO Talk Network. You are listening to CTN, CIO Talk Network, with Sunjog Gall. To learn more about our program, please visit CIOTalkNetwork.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. So, talking about multiple generations being served by an organization. In your case, it's retail. It could be another industry. But if you are trying to be everything to everyone, that's a problem, and you really cannot be serving everyone well. So, how do you crack this for your organization? I would say that it starts with the brand positioning. And it is very important that the brands have their positioning statement and understand the universe that they are serving, right? Because without that, obviously, we can't be everything to everyone, as you so eloquently said. Once you have the brand positioning, that doesn't mean it won't bleed into other areas and there's ways to determine whether that's happening or not. But once you have your brand positioning, then I think the CRM and the data science around the segments that you're servicing through that brand positioning becomes very important. I think for Soma, we have a set. Uh, we have one brand position, right, with a target um, demographic, which, by the way, we all know is complicated by localization. But we'll keep it simple for for the time being. And White House has a completely different demographic, and then Chico's obviously has a third different demographic. So within the our group of brands. We have a very different um, brand positioning and de- demographics. Then we take the CRM customer segments and determine a lot about them. So what is the customer journey relative to that persona in that segment of customer? And then we ask ourselves questions about that, right? So what is relevant for her? Not just from a product perspective, but how she wants to be spoken to. Where does she buy? Where does she socialize? Is she a brick-and-mortar person? 
is she someone who really wants the her outfits put together for her? Is she someone who likes to come and browse and not be bothered? Does she just want to get outfits through email or digitally? Would she like to have someone come into her home and show her how she should dress? So I think understanding each of those segments value to the organization and how we want to communicate with them, sell to them, support them, and what it is that they want to experience. Only then should we be putting the proper technology and investing the proper technology to support those experiences. Where we become more sophisticated is through the customer journey that you heard me speak about earlier, where we can then start to predict what that journey is and meet her where she's going to be. I love the way you explained, and that's where technology is looking like a hero if you're able to pull that off, which is great. Now, the last mile challenge, which we've seen in many cases that companies, I I would not name here, have some of the best, most sophisticated systems, and maybe they've spent millions of dollars on, on getting an understanding of that journey, but that very sales person who is on the floor treating these people don't either have a clue or are sending mixed messages or are in some way not exactly rubbing them the wrong way, but misrepresenting the company's values in the way they carry themselves and they are letting perhaps their problems at home to the business. And that's a human being. You cannot program them. You cannot get analytics in their head when they are emotionally not working on it. So what do you do for that last mile challenge? Because you are saying at all times we want to be our absolute best. That means your people who are being enabled, they have to be enabled beyond just data. Yes. So there's, I mean, there's a fascinating process occurring here at Chico's, and it is the use of our our jam, which is our social um, um, social tool that we use internally. And the buzz around this tool and this, and this social interaction that's happening and occurring between the, the sales associates as well as between the corporate, which, by the way, we call ourselves the sales support center, just so that we don't forget why we're here. So the sales support center and the stores, there's a tremendous amount of buzz and there's a tremendous amount more interaction than I've even ever seen before through these tools. Just an example of implementing something that we wouldn't have predicted would have taken off as well as it did, but it is now a, a very important communication tool for our sales associates. But let me, I'll give you two examples. One on the, on the let's call it the quote, a little bit of a negative side. So let's say you have a sales associate who, what we like to call when we do our shop, competitive shopping, the walk of shame with the return. So someone's coming in and they've got a bag and it's a return and they are um, met with, someone who's not necessarily happy about taking in a return. Our job then is to convert that to educating the sales associate to how that is someone who now is in their store with traffic numbers being what they are. That's someone who can be sold something else that she might have actually really wanted or in a size that she actually might have really wanted and turned into a very um, positive experience one that not only will tell us about that customer, 
one wet will actually increase sales if the, if the interaction's right and the product is there for them. And so by communicating to our salespeople that that return is not necessarily negative, it can be capitalized on and it can be met with, hi, how are you? I see you have a return. I'm so sorry. Did it not work out for you? What can I help you with? Versus, oh, I don't need that return. It's just going to cause me to have an inventory problem or whatever issue, you know, someone might come up with in their humanness. Um, But then on the flip side, you have someone who may be your top 10 salespeople. They may be selling millions in a year, and you want to now capitalize on what's their secret sauce? What are they doing? What do they have, and how how can we capitalize on that? How much of that is unique to that person, and how much of that can we systematically roll out to the remainder of the field because they've actually found something that we can capitalize on. So I think it's both. And, you know, life would not have been perfect for anyone when they started this journey. And I'm sure when you came in a year ago, you were brought in because I'm not saying anything was, you know, totally in shambles, but there must be some improvement that organization may be looking at or, uh, going forward, there is a vision to say, okay, we are at level A, we got to get to level B. So what what is that when you came in as an outside in? Did you use as a benchmark to say, okay, where are we in this XYZ area? And so it's not about you don't have to tell us what was wrong, but how did you, how would any leader like you measure from a sales effectiveness standpoint, where and, and, and wearing the hat of a CIO to say, okay, these are the, the places where it could improve versus waiting for the sales leader or the business leaders to tell you, okay, go fix this, this, this. Uh, I would say, first and foremost, shareholder value. That is the answer. No matter, no matter what it is we measure, whether it is OPEX, CAPEX, any kind of KPI that you would find typically in a, in a technology world, at the end of the day, we have to improve shareholder value. And so it all comes down to, to measuring that. I would say in, in, from a leadership perspective, it's wonderful to be in a place in my career where I can leave my ego at the door and utilize all of the failures of my careers as well as all of the successes for the benefit of an organization that are the up-and-comers. So that puts me, I think, in a a pretty unique situation, and it's a wonderful place to be. Um, Unfortunately, it comes with aging, but that's okay. Uh, I also think that the strategic vision, either creating it or aligning to it, is is hugely important. I'm, I'm very proud of our CEO and the rest of our executive team um, supporting the customer journey. I mean, we spent two full days earlier this year with, we even had board members involved, our executive committee, all the way to our digital people, our marketers, probably 60 plus people spent two full days. And the, and the requirement was leave your ego and your title at the door, put the customer at the center, and we're going to spend two days building the future journey. That was not an easy process. We did it. We, it was phenomenally successful because we're building the company's strategy around that, meaning it's not just the sales areas and the marketers and the merchants and designers, but it's also how does technology support that? How does the supply chain support that? How does HR support that? 
When you can do that, you can end up in a situation that I think is the most important, at least for me, and that is understanding where the organization needs to be in a year plus so that we can get ahead of it so no one is ever waiting on us. That is critical as a leader. I need to make sure that I'm laying the groundwork so when the business needs to be there, within reason, we're ready for them. So you did mention shareholder vision. Sorry. Yeah, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Finish your thought, please. That just comes with a cleared share vision. And I don't think that's an easy thing to attain. And that's why I'm so incredibly proud of this leadership team, because getting to that vision together is something that I think will end up being a competitive advantage for us. Now, I'd like to pick up on uh, what you mentioned about the importance of different things and shareholder value top the chart. Now, let's talk about um, what eventually, if put in the center, and then later in the response, you mentioned customers in the center. Across multiple industries, uh, you know, as, as part of us doing different events and, of course, uh, such discussions, um, we've seen that if a customer centricity is spoken about, but behind the scenes, it's the shareholder value which takes prominence. There are conflicts, and in some cases, or in most cases, it undermines the outcome. So, is it customer centricity lip service? In and I'm not saying in your organization or any, or would you say it is just something which is more of a? Um, it is a sentiment that exists, but shareholder value always trumps it. And do you think because of that conflict, inherent uh, divided brains, if you will, we ourselves are doing the disservice to the customer who essentially is giving us the revenue? It, it, I truly believe as a leader that satisfied customers creates shareholder value. If, in fact, you chase a sale or chase something sexy to get the sale, you may get that one sale, but you might not get that loyal customer who comes back and relies on you over and over again. And we've, I've seen companies I, where you, again, chase that promotional war that's going on, right? And it's the race to the bottom, and that's just eroding margin. You may have comp, but you're not profitable. So at the end of the day... And this isn't something else that our CEO, um, I admire about her. It is a matter of understanding what the value is going to be and not get involved in that promotional war, but truly seek the shareholder value through a satisfied customer. And I think the proof is in the pudding. You know, um, when you start to momentum, when when you have that momentum and you can see the connection between that satisfied customer and top-line sales or profitability, it it sort of creates this momentum that people now buy into because they can see it. And I think it's important for us as leaders to show that connection that might not be obvious every day so that people clearly understand that and want more of the customer satisfaction driving shareholder value versus chasing a point of comp at the loss of margin. 
Let's take a quick break, listeners. Uh, we will be right back and let's talk about the way we are looking at the sales effectiveness overall and behind the scenes we are trying to bring the different pieces, which is uh, the, the very sales process, the marketing function, and then the service because that's what will create as a sum total the experience. So yes, it's a journey. We, cannot, uh, we can never say that we are perfect. So what is that holy grail we should pursue? And how do we evaluate at any given time where we are in these specific, uh, th- these, these three different areas so that we know we have, an, he, we have a way to move forward in a very confident manner towards the goal that we are putting in front of us. Please stay tuned listeners, we'll be right back. Today, enterprise technology is both strategic and global. Each week on CTN CIO Talk Network, IT thought leaders from around the world share their experience with listeners as they discuss with Sunjog All how they are trimming costs and partnering with business to innovate and help IT become more competitive, better care for customers, and improve the corporate bottom line. If you want to keep up with IT thought leadership, listen to CTN CIO Talk Network with Sunjog All at CIO Talk Network. You are listening to CTN CIO Talk Network with Sunjo Gall. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. So sales, marketing, and service, these, these three legs of the stool is what makes a company great, or it can also bring you down the tubes. When you talk about integration, um, do we loosely couple them? Do we have them so tightly integrated that they are not nimble and ag- agility is is lost? What's so so? Let's let's take a a snapshot of uh, a company which is trying to go in in a in a direction where sales are not going doing well. The salespeople are not doing well. How how would you uh, inventory the s- typical challenges that you may have? seen companies facing in these three areas, especially at the point of integration? I, I always go back to the point where you have to live the day in the life. So if I've got an area of opportunity, I think, I think the diagnostic part of that is critical, right? First of all, is it part of the brand positioning? Is it part of the future of the organization? Is it part of the strategy and the vision? And if in fact it is, and it's an important component, understanding what the root cause of those issues are um, is, is very important. And, and one of the ways that I like to do that is through sort of a, quote, day in the life. And that could be a day in the life of a designer, a day in the life of an executive, a day in the life of a, a sales associate, um, a day in the life of a programmer. I mean, and understand what is going on. Many times, one of the things that we've implemented here at Chico's is servant leadership. And many times by, by um, creating the inverted pyramid, you're able to allow the teams to drive down some of the decisions and, and it many times come up with pretty innovative solutions to problems that may look overwhelming in the typical pyramid. And I do believe that it's, it's very important to live that day in the life from a diagnostic standpoint versus make the assumptions from a distance and try to solve them with industry tools or 
um, a perspective on what we think might be happening versus what we can test is actually happening. So this integration is first philosophy and then tools. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, unless you, you truly know that it's something that the technology and you can prove that it has top line sales, right? Or that it is creating shareholder value or it is a building block for the future and therefore it's a mandatory investment, then yes, I would say that's true. And, you know, lately people are talking uh, with the social media or other forms of channel, people are expressing more than ever, and which is not actually a bad thing for an organization such as yours, because they you could use that voice of the customer and the feedback that comes to you to to use to your advantage or for that matter as an advantage to that very customer. So. Is there a science or an art to that listening? Because they may be saying something, but if I just put an AI function, artificial intelligence function, or some individuals who may have some biases, then how can we trust the outcome? Because you're trying to make some big decisions based on the interpretation that's put out there. So um, in a previous life, um, and it was actually at a time when social listening was fairly new. We created a social listening environment, and the marketing team was able to identify a influencer, and she was gro- growing in influence at a very rapid pace. And we were able to pay attention to that. They ultimately reached out to this person. Who and curated a line that she wound up designing for the brand, created a sub-brand, and it was one of the most uh, successful sub-brands that the company launched. That happened because technology provided social listening, and the marketers used that social listening, and they were um, advanced enough and innovative enough, and in some cases took the risk with someone to curate a line. So that's my um, experience from many years ago. Today, I would call that the voice of the customer, of which social is one component. Everywhere the customer is talking, we are listening. That is critical. So I see social as a component of the overall voice of the customer. But then it's something you have to be very careful with because you don't want to react to a moment of emotion that may or may not truly be rooted in your brand. So the techniques that you use to serve up that information and the people that are consuming that information and the way that they're able to digest it and action it needs to be unemotional, maybe risk-taking, but definitely supported by tests and, again, shareholder value and, again, unemotionally. Um, And that is one very powerful competitive advantage that I won't tell you any more about for Chico's, but um, we're pretty excited about. And if, if you were out there as a consultant, so another organization which is trying to do may not be in retail or any other industry, where do you think typically the gotchas are? Where do you think we could end up making it the weakest link and which would undermine the overall value we could have uh, achieved or received from from listening or are having that access to the voice of the customer. Yeah, I've seen it. It's, it's reacting or 
supporting your own point of view, how you uh, support your bias by how you're, you're looking at the data. And that's why, you know, having a sophisticated data science team that is not with bias, that is not that's outside of those disciplines to serve up that data, how you execute that is so critical. Even things um, like product information or reviews, we, we've made product and marketing updates from social feedback. Um, that, that loop exists today, but you have to have the discipline to be able to do that. And we do have sophisticated testing methodologies for things that we feel like is a little bit more of a risk. As I mentioned earlier, when you do things like that, you want to fail fast and you want to implement minimum viable products so that you can react. Those are methodologies that support that behavior. Now let's talk about consistency versus surprise. So say in retail environment or any other places where you are trying to sell or other people are trying to buy, one is to be so consistent that it, it's it almost on the border of boring. Another is to create some surprise, which could be remarkable, which could be fun, and which out of intrigue would pull a person back in again, not necessarily because they needed a product, but they just loved the experience. How do you pull that off and do it? So surprise on a consistent basis. It's interesting because we, we, when we talk about surprise in, in Chico's, we talk about surprise and delight. It's always with the delight point and how are we delighting our consumer. I go back to our secret sauce. We have the most amazing personal service and the company understanding its own DNA and capitalizing on that and evolving that most amazing personal service. For us, as an example, it would be digitizing something that existed only in person in the past so that we can meet those customers and delight her when she's at home in addition to when she's in the store. Um, and I think the, the, the HR function in terms of how we are culturally are aligned to the people that are in front of the customers is hugely important. The type of people that we bring in, the type of training that we provide, the support that we give. Um, there's a, a tremendous amount of videos that get sent out to keep the connection going with our, with our customers. We've provided a customer book in store that allows our consumer to look back on history for our customers and, and really um, reach out to them for birthdays and gifts. They'll call them from time to time. Um, we read customer letters at our all-hands meetings so that we can reinforce what the customer is telling us. Everything about what we do has the customer in mind. And the idea is to constantly delight her because, as we said earlier, that's what is actually going to ultimately drive. That satisfaction drives shareholder value. So to that, what you just mentioned, um, the person who works for your organization, who is out there at the very uh, tail end of your um, service delivery, if you will, or sell, sales, is a person who him or herself also has the needs, wants, desires, aspirations, and, and things which they need to see fulfilled as part of them doing that delightful, uh, providing that delightful experience to your customers, which means your own people's interests could even be put above the customer. In fact, there's a book I interviewed the author. Uh, it's in employees first, customer second. So, so far we spoke about shareholder value 
and we spoke about the customer value. And then there is there is something to be said about the employee's interest. And if that is not put first and if they are just tackled as resources and they are trained to do a job as if they were building widgets, then aren't we lo- leaving something on the table? <laughs> yeah, we would be leaving something on the table. Um, our employees and our talent is our top asset. There is no question that our philosophy in this company is about our employees and the ones that face our customers, uh, we serve them. Again, that's why we call it the store solution center, not corporate, as, as, as often we've heard it called. Um, I think that not every idea that an associate serves up is going to be one that works for the entire organization, um, but listening to them and taking their feedback and showing them that there is a feedback loop and even going back and saying these things, celebrating and rewarding for things and ideas that actually uh, are implemented across the organization, whether it's multiple brands or a single brand, or coming back and saying, while it's a fantastic idea, it might only service that one particular customer or that one particular location, so we're not going to move forward with it, but in a respectful way. That's still telling them that they have a voice, that their information and their ideas are extremely important. And again, that's where the innovation happens is with the consumer and the sales associate. So getting the information back from them and being where they are is very important. We spend a tremendous amount of time, as I mentioned earlier, in our stores, shopping digitally, making sure that we understand what is innovative in a store and what we should capitalize on versus what we think they may need. We invite employees to join us they get tremendous recognition for delivering the most amazing personal service. And, and again, there's a momentum that gets generated from that. If you celebrate something that services the most amazing personal service and that becomes celebrated and it's the quote-unquote cool table that everyone wants to be a part of, it builds momentum and it becomes something that people want to be a part of. And that momentum is hard to break once you've got it going. Let's take a quick break, listeners. We'll be right back. And while workers don't say, you take care of me and I will take care of you, but that is implied, to what degree are organizations, as part of their DNA, making sure that the person is not a resource, a person is not a source of feedback or understanding or a listener of the customer, but as an individual who may have ideas, but also has to have the emotional energy to be able to every time with every customer do their absolute best to delight. Because if we take Chico's and a worker from Chico's, the person who they're dealing with, that customer who's in the store, to them, this person is Chico's. How do you make each person the best brand, the best representation of the brand? That's the question. Let's explore. We'll be back. Please stay tuned. Today, enterprise technology is both strategic and global. 
Each week on CTN CIO Talk Network, IT thought leaders from around the world share their experience with listeners as they discuss with Sunjog All how they are trimming costs and partnering with business to innovate and help IT become more competitive, better care for customers, and improve the corporate bottom line. If you want to keep up with IT thought leadership, listen to CTN CIO Talk Network with Sunjog All at CIO Talk Network. You are listening to CTN CIO Talk Network with Sunjo Gall. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. So, we spoke about customer delight. The person or the, the group that creates that delight should be delighted first, which is the, the expectation, the implied expectations at the very least is that I need to be taken care of. I should have fun while being at the store as an associate so that I can keep my smiles, not the fake ones, but the authentic smiles and, and, and give that service which exceeds a customer's expectation. That takes a lot. And to keep that happening, making that uh, to make that happen on a consistent basis is tough. And there is something to be said about the newer generation, which does not think you pay me the money and I will deliver. They want meaningful work. They want better handling from the corporate. Take it away. I do think that the generation you're referring to cares a great deal about corporate philanthropy. It's extremely important to millennials, and they want to work for companies that have purpose. So I think that that would be sort of the overarching message to that generation who truly does care about purpose. I also think they, that they want to work for people that, that care about them and have their interests at heart. And that's a culture, right? So that's something that... We, we tend to do a lot of pulse surveys in addition to our visits. The CEO is, is very involved in those surveys and the responses to them. We send videos out. You may get a video from the CEO sitting in your office um, when you come in in the morning or in your store when you come in, and maybe you're just not having a good day, and you walk into your store, and there's your CEO all chipper saying, hey, how's it going? Great job last week on... X, Y, or Z, and I think that surprises people. One of the things that, that actually surprised me when I joined Chico's is how wonderfully um, accepting people were of the fact that we don't deal with a hierarchy. We don't have a typical hierarchy. It's an open-door policy. It's the servant leadership mentality, and millennials love that. They understand that. They understand that they have value. And just having adopted those philosophies makes us more attractive to them. And then when they join and find out that they're real, it's not just something that we put on the, on the, uh, on the website, then they attract other people. And I would say that the majority of the people that we've been attracting, at least in, in, in my world, has been through employees because of the experiences that they're having. I also think that it's interesting that we have rewards and challenges and contests. And again, that, that store solution center versus a corporate office servicing them 
so that they can then service the customer. I share that philosophy that if your employees are happy, your, con- your consumer will be happy as well. And I'm real proud of what we have here at Chico's. One last question for you, being the CIO, I'm sure there was an ask from the top leadership in a certain way where you would bring value. And in order to execute on it, you had to take your crew, the IT crew, elevate them to the next level of understanding and appreciation of what they're doing and get them all aligned and directly or indirectly contribute towards that sales experience the whole organization is rallying up to to deliver. What was that? Transparency. I would say it's transparency, and a big part of my job is to show the value of the work that the teams have done and showcase the leaders and the teams within my division. And they are an incredible group of people, and we continue to attract incredible talent, and they are making a difference. It is, it can be traced and tracked and be very specific, and it is delivering shareholder value, and we showcase them. We showcase them to the board. We showcase them to the executive committee. We showcase them at all hands meetings. And it really is based on, again, that momentum, that delivering shareholder value, having a quality of life, and dare I say, having fun is something that we can accomplish, is something that I know will be what I consider to be my legacy. Because I've always said if I had the opportunity as a person growing up in this industry and growing up in technology for 30-plus years, if I could create an environment, what would it be? And that's what it would be. It would increase shareholder value, have a quality of life, and we are going to have some fun. And I think we've accomplished that, and we feel pretty good about it. Now we just have to maintain it and keep moving. On behalf of the show and listeners, uh, thanks so much, Anne, for sharing your respect, your, your views on how organizations can rethink what they are doing with respect to the, the what the workers want, who are delighting the customers, what, of course, the customers want, and without leaving the shareholder value, which may look like the most important, but also including it in the bigger mix so that this combination of the three allows you to build and create and deliver the, the, the most compelling sales experience, which is going to uh, deliver the final outcome. So thank you so much, Anne. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Uh, listeners, please like us on Facebook, search for CTN, CIO Talk Network, and be sure to follow us on Twitter and LinkedIn. Thank you again for listening to this segment on CTN. This is Sanjog, all your talk show hosts. Till next week, take care and God bless. Thank you for tuning in to CTN, CIO Talk Network, with your host, Sunjoe Gall. To learn more about our program or for show archives, comments, or questions, please visit ciotalknetwork.com. Thank you again for listening.